Well, good morning, South Shore. Thank you, worship team, for leading us today. What a great song. It's a song that we sing a lot. We, we don't sing it, uh, we haven't sung it maybe recently, but what a, a great song of our testimony that God is good. He saves people just like us. Well, thanks for joining us today. Last week, we began a brand new four-week series in Acts chapter 16, and that series calls us to, to live and to see with eyes of faith. Alex is really quick to remind me, and I'm thankful for her ministry in my life. She reminds me of these verses from, or this verse from uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. She says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. She reminds me of that a lot. And we are reminded in this series of Acts chapter 16 that he is a big God. The God we serve is a big God. And he's doing great things at all times. He's doing great things at all times, even in these times. Do you believe that? Even in these times, God is doing great things for his glory. He's sovereign, he's wise, he's loving, and he's over viruses, and he's over governments, he's over our nation, and he's over his church. You can believe that, you can trust that. And when you know that, you can rest in this wonderful, mysterious work and plan of God, knowing that he is working out his good plan, because he's a good God with a good plan, and he's always working. He's bringing everything to the completion and the conclusion of what he has ordained should happen. We saw last week that God moves us. He moves us forward in his plans and his purposes for redemption. And sometimes he uses closed doors. Other times he uses open doors. But all times he's leading us. We can rest, we can be at peace, and we can trust God today. Perhaps some of you just need a sense of peace and rest and a renewed sense of trusting in the Lord. I pray that that God would bless us with that today, that he'd bless you with a sense, renewed sense of rest and peace and trust. Well, God's going to give us that today as we look and take some steps forward into this chapter and trace God's steps in Acts chapter 16. As way of recap, Acts chapter 16 talks about the beginning of Paul's three-year second missionary journey that was a journey around the Mediterranean and it's an exciting story. If you're with us last week you remember I said that it was a 500 mile journey by foot. It's really an adventure story. It's a a faith story and I think it would make for a great movie. Uh, Lots of biblical movies have been made. I would love to see one about Paul's missionary journeys particularly this one. Maybe after last week's message, some of you were asking, well, how did the Holy Spirit block their way? How did they know where to go when one way was shut? How did they know to keep going? There's some things that the text specifically doesn't tell us, but what we do know is that they did sense God's mysterious guidance, and he did lead them along. We know that he got them to Troas, and we know that it was there that they had enough light to get to that spot And then it was there that they received the next set of marching orders in the mission. It was almost like a Mission Impossible episode where you go to that location and there's something in a phone booth, a briefcase or something, and they picked up the orders and they were able to move forward. Well, they received a vision. By God's grace and in his mercy, he leads us, but have you noticed that he doesn't always tell us the whole journey? He doesn't often give us the big road map and says, you're here and you're going to do this little winding journey and you're going to end up over there. Sometimes we just have this piece of the roadmap. He gives us just enough to get to the next juncture point. And what that does, if, if you've ever had that experience, and I suspect you have, it keeps us trusting in him and not in the roadmap itself. It keeps us dependent. 
Well, the resolution to this journey that they were on and the perplexities that they were experiencing was found in Troas. Paul received this vision from the Macedonian man, and they had the call. They, they knew what they were supposed to do. They, had, they received the answer that they were wanting, and we could say that's the end of the movie. Uh, boom, it's over. Happy ending. The resolution was there. But that wasn't the ending. That was actually just the beginning. Their faith adventure was, was still going on. And uh, we looked last week about uh, just their obedience and their following God's guidance, and those would make for great sermons. But that's not for this time. We can pick those up another time. There was a much greater reason that all of this was happening. Uh, because there was a brand new work that God wanted to do. It was the work of reaching into Europe, this unreached continent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was the beginning of God establishing new churches in Philippi and in Corinth, in Thessalonica, and then in Rome. And it started right here in Troas and the steps that they were about to take through four obedient servants and one beloved woman. We pick up our story this morning in Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 11. Would you take your Bibles? Let's read those verses together. Acts 16, verse 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a journey motif. God is on the move, and he's moving his people to where he wants them to be. As I reflect on my geographical journey over 32 years of pastoral ministry, my journey started in Ottawa, and then God led us to Newmarket, and then Orangeville, and finally Barrie, where we have been for 20 years. It's fun to look back and see the circumstances, the closed doors and the open doors, and the reasons why you maybe move from place to place to place. What does the geographical and maybe the, the geographical faith journey of your life look like? Where's God taking you? Maybe you can be amazed too as you look back. This morning, what we're going to see is that God, who is still in control, moved us from place to place in my journey. He's moved you in your journey. And God, who is still in control, moved Paul and his companions to where he wanted them to be. The first point is this. He moved Paul across the sea. He moved Paul across the sea. We know that at the end of last week, he had a vision, and they concluded that this was God's open door for them. Good news, celebration. So what did they do? They they found a ship that was heading for Macedonia, and this was a 150-mile sea voyage. And they went from Troas to Samothrace, which is a mountainous island in the middle of the Aegean Sea. They dropped anchor, and they spent a night there before heading the next day and landing in Neapolis, which is a, a seaport city on the Macedonian coast. Good news, they were, they were getting closer to their destination all the time. 
If you think back to when God called Ananias, you find that story in Acts chapter 9. Ananias was there and God gave him a vision and God gave him very specific detail and direction what he was supposed to do. It was actually quite a scary vision. It was, it was a scary mission because God told him to go pray for Saul who previously had been tracking down Christians and killing them. So this godly man gets his vision from God and says, go to this guy's house. Here's his name. It's on a certain street. And there you're going to find a man named Saul. And he's praying. And he's seen a vision. And in his vision, he's seeing a man coming to pray for him and to lay hands on him and to heal him. That's a really specific vision. And Ananias wonderfully said, yes, Lord, I'll go. Well, in this case, in the Macedonian call, unlike a few chapters earlier in Acts chapter 9, God's directions to Paul were very general. This was it. Really, two details. Go to Macedonia and help. Two details. Go to Macedonia and help. Well, the help he probably could figure out, the help was preach the gospel. That's what he did. But Macedonia was a little, you know, it's a little, a little generic. It's a little unclear. If I'm Paul, I may be saying, Lord, like, is there a specific address, a specific street, a certain contact? Lord, you're omniscient. You know all of these things. Can you give me a little more details, God? Can you, like, give me a little bit more light for the journey? It would be like us getting a call from God. We live in Kingston, and God says, go to New York State. So we hop on a boat, and we sail up Lake Ontario, and we can see the mainland on the other side. It's the States, and it's New York State. But where do we land? Do we land in Rochester? Do we land in Buffalo? God, what is it that you're calling us to do? Well, in God's providence, he led them, and God brought them to Neapolis, and then eventually they went to Philippi. You know, regardless of how God leads us, specifically with detail or generally, he leads us. And it's the adventure of faith. God's still leading us forward, even in the midst sometimes of what it feels like when you're walking in a fog. Maybe that's your place today. Well, off they went with just very little direction, but they went with a big walk of faith, expecting that as they were journeying, as their steps made forward progress, that God was going to steer them and direct them, and he did. He would give them the light that they needed. And we need to be okay with that. Sometimes if you're loving control and loving all the details, you feel like, God, I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to step out until you tell me the whole picture. God doesn't always do that. He doesn't always give you the end. and In fact, most times he doesn't. And uh, we don't have to have the whole plan figured out before we step out in faith, right? If you're putting your toes in the Jordan River, you're probably asking these questions. God, I don't really want to do this because I can't figure out how we're not going to get drowned and how those big giants on the other side are going to be dealt with. If you have questions and you're a planner and you're strategic, you're probably, you probably have a list of questions, but God just says, put your toes in the water and see what happens. So here they go. They walk forward, they take the step. And when they took that step, the missionaries made really good time in their, their journey, their sea voyage. They had favorable winds at their back, and this journey actually took them just two days. On a return trip, some years later, they would come back the same way in reverse order, and it would take them five days. So God was blessing them. He was giving them some winds, and, and he was moving them along in a, in a fast way. And, and I'm sure Paul was very encouraged, saying, God, we've waited all this time, and now we feel like things are going. This is a fast trip. It's like being at the airport, and everything is tickety-boo, and you're sitting at the boarding gate in no time flat, and you're just going, this is good. This has been a good trip. That's what they were feeling. They were thinking, thank you, Lord. You're on the move, and you're blessing our journey. 
So they landed at Neapolis, and then they traveled 10 miles inland to Philippi, to the central Macedonian plateau. Here they were at last, um, by land and by sea, a total journey of a number of months, 650 miles. You get to the city. What do you do when you're there, this new place that you've never been to before? Well, you look around, you walk around, you explore, and your eyes are wide open, and your, your faith antenna are up, and you're saying, Lord, we're here. You're here. God, what's next? What do you want to use us for? What are you going to do? And they believed in the providence of God. They believed that God was at work in all of the details. He was directing their thoughts and their words and their actions. And maybe as you look back over your life, you marvel a little bit at how God led you, how you ended up in this city, or maybe how you ended up in this church. Through circumstances, God led you from point A to point B. And maybe at the time, you had no idea exactly what God was doing. You didn't know where it was leading. This is the providence of God in your life. John Piper explains providence in this way. I want you to look at this. I think you can see it on the screen behind me. The providence of God, says Piper, is his purposeful sovereignty. That's so good. His purposeful sovereignty by which he will be completely successful in the achievement of his ultimate goal for the universe. From A to B, it's going to happen. He goes on to say, God's providence carries his plans into action, guides all things towards his ultimate goal, and leads to the final consummation. Isn't that wonderful? And just as God is providentially working in Paul's life with his companions, he is working in our lives. God's ultimate goal, as we read the story, included Philippi. But God's ultimate goal includes Barrie, Ontario in 2021, as much as it did Philippi in the first century. And it includes you and your life and what God wants to do through this church God being successful in moving us forward in his plans and purposes, that he brings all the details, all the things together, he guides our plans, he moves all things towards his ultimate goal, that that all the world would worship his son Jesus, that the church would be brought in, that we would be gathered around his throne in eternity, those who love Jesus Christ. Sometimes you might feel like life is the sum total of random events, Sometimes you might feel like your ship is just blown around by the winds that come from every direction and fate kind of takes your boat this way and that way. Is that the way life is? Absolutely not. Your life isn't random. Nothing has happened to you by chance. It's all according to God's eternal and perfect plan. Think about the gratitude that can well up in your heart when you realize that God's hand has been on your life from before the foundation of the world has been with you and is with you and will be with you till the end. And we know that the Bible says it is all working for our good and for God's glory, his providence, working out. God brought this group of men on a very adventurous journey a long way for a very specific reason. And God was about to show them what that reason was. He moved Paul across the sea to the seaport, to the inland city of Philippi, and then to its outskirts, where God was doing something very wonderful. He was moving 
opening the eyes of a woman, preparing her heart to receive the message of salvation. Providentially, God moved Paul across the sea. And the God who is still in control was also moving Lydia to the riverside. That's the second point. Have you ever played with Google Earth? I did the other day. I was looking for something and I just said, you know, you start with the earth. And I said, let's go to Albania. So I zoomed into Albania and then I said, let's zoom into the place that I stayed five times when I was in Albania. So you zoom in to Tirana and you zoom in trying to find this, the streets. And then I saw the street and I saw the square and I moved over to the, the street where we stayed. And then I went to street view and all of a sudden I'm there with the cafes and the sidewalk. Have you ever done that before? It's the zoom out to the zoom in. It's kind of a wonderful thing to do. Well, the zoom out of the journey is we've seen Paul's journey from far away, and now the zoom in is it's, it's coming right to this water's edge, right to the very place where Paul and his companions meet Lydia and these women who are gathered there. The camera zooms in and focuses on this one woman. Look at uh, verse 13. On the Sabbath day, we, were, we went outside to the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together, providentially, of course. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Jewish population in the city of Philippi was very small. We know that because a synagogue, uh, if it was to be established, would need at least 10 Jewish men. There was no synagogue in the city. We know that what Paul would do if he came into a city, he would go into the synagogue, he would find it, he would go in, he would teach, and he would preach. There was no synagogue for him to go to, so it was a very small Jewish population. So what they did was they went out to the place of prayer, which was a mile outside the city gate uh, next to the Gangites River. And if you Google Gangites River, you can see the very river outside the city of Philippi, which is still a city today. And you can see the river that was there on the the outer part of the the city, to the very place that is going to figure into our story today. It's fun to do that. Their journey zoomed into this particular group of women, and one woman in particular. Luke gives a bit of information about her. Her name is Lydia. Some commentators say that she's the Lydian woman because she was from an area known as Lydia. So it would be like the Ontario guy. She was the Lydian woman. They call her Lydia. She was from the city Thyatira in the Lycus Valley in Asia Minor. And that city was about 300 miles from Philippi. Somewhere along the way, her being from the city of Thyatira changed. And and she was moved from her continent. She was moved as well across the Aegean Sea to the city of Philippi. Now, the city of Philippi was predominantly Roman. and, And she was a Gentile. She was a woman and she was not a follower of, well, she was a follower of Judaism, excuse me, but she wasn't yet a follower of Jesus. She wasn't fully Jewish, she was just devout, a God-fearer. But what we know is that she was a minority in the city, and it was no accident that she was there. Perhaps it was a new sales territory that was assigned to her. Perhaps she was an entrepreneur, and she had a trade, and we'll find out about that in a second. And she said, this is a much better place for my business. Maybe she sought out a new market. Whatever it was, God moved her 300 miles to this city for this very day that she was going to meet the Apostle Paul and ultimately she was going to meet Jesus. What a beautiful thing. She was a wealthy merchant, that we know. She was a seller of expensive purple cloth 
And the cost of purple dye that really was, was part of the city of Thyatira, this is what they did, they made these expensive purple garments. And those garments, because it was a, a process uh, with dye that was so expensive to make, therefore the garments were expensive to purchase. So who were the people that wore purple? Well, it was, it was the wealthy, it was the royalty, and so she had a profitable business. Here she was in Philippi along this extensive Roman highway system called the Via Ignatia. It was like being at the 401, right? Being kind of at the corner of the 401 and the 400. She set up shop right there on this busy highway. And she had a wonderful, lucrative business. But even though she was busy and we know she had a staff, she had servants working, it didn't interfere with her nurturing faith in God. She wasn't yet saved, but God along the way had been working in her life to cause her to know Yahweh, uh, the God of the Bible. And her heart was interested, and, and she was, was called the worshiper of God. And sometimes God brings a person to faith in little steps over time. I think of my own salvation story, and I can look back from about six years old to around 16, a 10-year journey. And as I think of it, I'm able to look back and identify the steps incrementally, one by one, and the people and the circumstances that God put in my life to move me, as it were, one click to the next, to the next, to the next, until I finally heard the gospel of Jesus and surrendered my life. How many, I wonder, different people in your life, how many years, how many clicks, how many steps did it take before you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? And we can, we can change hats a little bit. We can also think that not only was God working in our life link by link or click by click, but we can be a link in somebody's salvation journey. We can be the next click as God uses us to help people come incrementally closer to faith in Jesus Christ one step at a time. And I pray for myself and I pray for you that, that God will give us the opportunity to be the last link in the chain, to actually sit across the table sharing the gospel and then leading someone to Jesus Christ. And most times we don't actually know where we are in the, in the chain. We don't know what link we are or what part we are in someone's journey. But we can sure be grateful to know that God knows the whole process and he's involving us in another person's life. Well, here, here Paul goes to this water's edge to the riverside. And you know what I'm thinking? We have a, a water's edge too, downtown Barrie. And it would be really helpful for us to take walks down there to walk and to pray and to look and to talk because so many people are down there walking, walking their dogs, walking, looking at the beautiful place that we have in Barrie. So many people, even from different parts of the world, are there. We have our own water's edge and our own opportunities right in our own backyard. It just so happened in God's providence on that particular Sabbath day that God brought Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke together with Lydia and the other women to this place of prayer. I don't know if you've thought about this as you've been reflecting on the story. What was the Macedonian call? Think back. What was the Macedonian call? Well, it was a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come and help us. What did Paul and his friends actually find? He didn't find a, a man, but he found a woman. God called them through this vision uh, the vision of a man coming to, say, coming to help us, but instead God led them to a woman who was from Thyatira, and yes, they helped her. It's interesting and wonderfully how providentially and mysterious God, God works. 
Well, providentially, God moved Lydia to the riverside, and the God who is still in control, our God, yesterday, today, forever the same, was also moving in Lydia's heart to believe. That's our third point. God was moving in Lydia's heart to believe. As as I reflected on this journey that we've been talking about, it struck me what great lengths God goes to in order to save his people. Luke 19.10 says this, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Just look what God did over months and years to orchestrate this meeting at the Ganges River that day. He put roadblocks in Paul's way. He led them on this 500 mile journey by foot, provided them a vision and a ship just to get them to this place of prayer so that they could share the gospel with Lydia. And God had his own journey for Lydia, months, years, circumstances, to get her to that same place. And this is all the sum total of the love and grace of God, the God who goes after lost sheep, the God who goes after lost sheep to rescue them and to bring them home. And isn't that a picture of the journey of the Son of Man, who came from heaven to earth? What a journey that is. To come right to the place where we are, to seek us, to find us, to turn us from sin, to open our eyes, and to rescue us and to bring us home. This is the gospel. This is the good news of the gospel. What great lengths God has gone to to save me and to save you. Well, usually people don't come asking us how they can be saved. We have to go to them. And God sent Paul, and he sends us. And just as Paul was looking for those open doors, so we say, Lord, would you send me to the place where you're working? God, would you send me to the place where there's open doors so that I can speak to somebody about issues of faith and ultimately present the gospel, telling them how they can know salvation? Wonderfully, marvelously, Paul spoke, and the women listened. Of all the women who gathered and heard, it says that Lydia believed She really listened to Paul's words. In Greek, the idea is that she paid careful attention. Her listening was sustained. Uh, She was pressing in, carefully listening to what he said because God was at work in her life and that message of salvation found good soil in her heart. So what was it it that made the difference that, that she was intent and keen on listening? Was it that Paul was especially good in his rhetoric that day, that he was on his game? Was it that his teaching style perfectly matched with her learning style? And she goes, I really get this guy. No, it wasn't. Look at verse 14. Read verse 14. It says this. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Yes, Paul opened his mouth. Yes, he knew what he was talking about. He knew the gospel. But it was the Lord who opened her heart to pay attention. This is the only time in the scriptures that this phrase, open her heart, is used. You see, God enabled, God opened her heart so that she could listen and hear. And she listened, she heard, and she responded to the gospel because the Father was at work in her life. Now, theologically, we call this the effectual call. It's a theological term that means God is sovereignly drawing sinners to salvation. And that's what we pray for when we pray for people that we love in our family, 
our neighbors, people on our street, at our workplace. We say, God, would you powerfully open up their hearts and powerfully draw someone opening their eyes and their hearts to salvation? Wonderfully, we know that God is supremely sovereign, absolutely sovereign in salvation. He ordains the means, us going as messengers and speaking, and he ordains the ends. Only God can quicken a heart that is dead in sin. Only he can open eyes that are blind. But he uses us, his messengers, to do our part to share the good news. As he did, he still does. The message came through Paul, but the work of opening the heart was by his power. And we know that we sow the seed, we water the seed, but it is God who brings conviction. He brings the growth. He produces the receptive heart. Let me ask you this question. If I was to ask you, what is successful evangelism? What would you say? What is successful evangelism? One of the things that we might say is that successful evangelism is someone coming to faith in Christ. And we would celebrate that. And yes, that is the goal. The goal is to share the gospel and to see men and women and young people coming to know Jesus Christ. But I think there's more to it than just that. And we need to look at it in a slightly more holistic way. Successful evangelism is is working alongside with God where he's at work. And listen, I think you can see this on the screen. Successful evangelism is taking the initiative in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. We, We step out, we take the initiative, we step out in the power of the Holy Spirit and we leave the results to God. We pray, we act, we speak, and we trust that God will do what only he can do. We do our part and we trust God to do his part. There's this interplay between the human initiative and the work of God. We're responsible to go and God is powerful and gracious to work. And this reminds me that two things. Number one, that we need to go. We can't neglect the going and the speaking. But second of all, it reminds me of the fact that we can relax. You don't have to force someone. You don't have to you know, put your hands around someone's throat and say, you've got to believe in Jesus. That's not your work to do that. It's the work of God to open up a heart. You can relax in the work of God, but you need to go. We can breathe faithfully, lovingly speaking and being the link in the life of another person as God sends you to them. Because until God is at work in the life of a person, and you know this, they're not going to see, they're not going to believe, they won't hear. But when God is at work in their life, what happens? Think about your own story. When God begins to draw you It's like there's a big spiritual Holy Spirit magnet that's drawing you to the things of God, drawing you away from sin and the world and the flesh and the old way. I remember as a teenager uh, listening to Van Halen and end up one day in a church that the music was nothing like I had listened to when I wasn't following Christ. And I just remember sitting there thinking, this is cool. It wasn't because the music was real cool or it was because it was what I was used to, but God's Spirit was drawing me even listening to an organ and a piano being played, singing hymns. It was nothing what I was used to, but God was using it to draw me to himself. John 6, says this very thing. No one, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Jesus opens up hearts and minds. He opened up the minds of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He opened their minds to the scripture. And Lydia was appointed to eternal life, and she believed God was working in her life. She was set apart from the creation of the world to be saved. 
God had prepared her for this very moment. Well, what a just unimaginable joy for Paul. He'd come all this way. He comes to this day. He preaches, and Lydia says yes to Jesus. Have you ever had the privilege of leading someone to put their faith in Christ? I pray that you do. If you haven't, I pray that you do. And I pray that you will say, Lord, would you use me in the life of someone to lead someone to Jesus Christ? When all the angels in heaven rejoice because one who was lost is found, the angels rejoicing that a sinner has come home, come home for eternity. Their eternal destiny changed from hell to heaven. But it is not only her that came to faith. It was others as well. It was those in her household. And I see spiritual multiplication. God used Paul to impact the life of one woman. That one woman impacted those who were in her household. There was more, and there would be more, and there would be more, and there would be more. As God multiplies your efforts and my efforts in their life. Well, that wasn't the end of it. She got baptized, as was customary in the early church. Soon after, someone professed faith in Jesus. They got baptized, and they said, there's a river right here. Let's go. Let's do this. They did. She was baptized in her household, and they were identifying in this outward sign of obedience that they were followers of Jesus. Maybe this morning you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Have you been baptized? Have you ever taken that step to walk into the waters of baptism and, and show that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? We're excited as a church, as the elders have been talking, and in the next number of weeks as we get to late spring and early summer, we're going to have a baptism service. So if you haven't been baptized, you come and talk to us because we want to help you to take those steps of faith for Christ. Well, Lydia's name was written down in the Bible for us. She is one of eight individuals by name that's listed in the book of Acts. And she's the only woman, as far as I know, whose name is written in in Acts who came to faith in Jesus Christ. God is honoring her memory. And he's just saying that she is a woman who he loved as a trophy of his grace. You know what? You're going to meet Lydia in heaven someday. You're going to meet her someday. And our names aren't written in the Bible, but here's where our names can be written, in the Lamb's Book of Life. And that's the most important place for your name to be written. It's it's the book of salvation, those who are saved sons and daughters of God. Is your name today in the Lamb's Book of Life? Do you know for sure that if you die today that you would be with Jesus Christ? Is your name in his book? Well, this excited Newly saved, freshly baptized, contagious, joy-filled believer was eager to share her resources. And we know that she had a number of resources. She had a big house because she invited the four to come and stay with her. And soon after, we're going to find out that she then hosted more believers and her house was the, the hub of the church in Philippi. It was where the church got started and it would become a ministry base for all of the mission in Europe. She was found faithful with God, what God had given to her. I wonder if we said to Paul, Paul, this long journey that you're on, imagine a videographer is, is with the team traveling all this way, and said, Paul, you've had a hard journey. It's been a long time. Was it worth it? Here's what I bet Paul would say. Paul's on camera giving this documentary. He would say, you know, worth it? Of course it's worth it. Absolutely, I would do it all over again. Following the will of God for one sinner who turns and repents And finds life in Jesus Christ, absolutely. And every effort, brother and sister, that we could make, if it's hard, if it's difficult, in these times that we which we live, if people reject our witness, if it's uncomfortable, if it's inconvenient, 
It's absolutely worth it. See, God is still moving today. And the question I want to ask you as we close is that, will you be moved with the things that move the heart of God? Why was God doing all that he was doing? Because he's coming for the lost. Because he's gathering the church to himself. Will you be moved with the things that move the heart of God? Will you move in step on the journey that God wants to take you to put you in the place, the places that he wants you to be in order that you could be a messenger of his good news? Ralph Winter, who was the director of the U.S. Center for World Mission, said this. I heard this statement recently. He said, the Bible consists of a single drama, the entrance of the kingdom, the power and the glory of the living God in this enemy-occupied territory. Whenever we go, moved by God, walking with him and looking for his open doors and looking for people with open hearts, we're the messengers of the kingdom, of the power, of the glory of God, of the living God into this enemy-occupied territory. You're on mission. We're on mission. You're saved for this reason, to be salt and light. And God goes to great lengths to save his own. And the mission still continues. He found you, and he's calling you to reach out to those who are still dead in their sin, who are still blind and who are stopped in their ears. They don't see, they don't feel, they're not alive spiritually. And as I studied this passage in Acts chapter 16, it dawned on me this, that this is a great commission account. A few weeks ago, we heard from Matthew 28. Go, teach, baptize, make disciples. Isn't that exactly what we see in Acts chapter 16? Go, Paul, teach, baptize, disciple. So here was Paul fulfilling the great commission led by God, and God still does that today. Brothers and sisters, we have in our day great commission opportunities. In a time when people are anxious, in a time of great disillusionment, I pray, I believe that God's opening hearts and opening minds to receive the gospel. Will we take advantage of these opportunities? Will you pray for the advance of the gospel? Will you pray for God's spirit to prepare people's hearts and minds to receive what he has for them? You are a great commission person. We are a great commission church. You are one of those that God sends to those whose hearts he is already preparing. So let God move you. Let him move you in your heart with his love. Let him move you in obedience as you go. Let him move your lips to speak the words of eternal life that are found in Jesus Christ alone. That his name would be honored and people would be saved. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today that our testimony is this. We give you praise. What was dead is now alive. And Lord, we can burst out with these songs of praise because Lord, you have saved our soul. Lord, I pray that the joy of the Lord would just be our strength and our song today as we remember what you've done for us, the great lengths that you have gone to to save us. And Lord, you know in this city in which we live, the houses, the, the rooms, where men and women and teenagers are desperately looking and waiting 
to hear the gospel. Lives that you have prepared, hearts that you are opening, eyes that you are opening to receive. Father, thank you that we are one church of many. And we pray that you would mobilize believers, not just us, not just South Shore, but church after church after church and believer after believer to be on the move, Lord. You are still in control. God, control our lives and send us out and save the lost for your glory. Lord, send us into enemy-occupied territory to bring the only news of salvation, the only good news for hope now and into eternity. And all God's people said, Amen.